Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Well, welcome back, my friends, to today's episode of Everyday Truth. So glad that you joined us for yet another day in the Word of God. Nothing flashy about it, but just uh, faithfully, day by day, little by little, uh, getting through portions of Scripture. And that's a good, that's a good life lesson. You know, we, we grow in little investments of time over time. You can't wait until December 31st and decide to do all your exercising for the year in one day. It didn't work that way. Now, you've got to do a little bit every day. And good things in life are usually those smaller installments more faithfully rendered day by day. And certainly that applies to the Word of God. And so thank you for joining us. We're beginning chapter 2 today of the book of Mark. Uh, and we've said, and you've heard it in the introduction, that the book of Mark really is a book of busyness, but but not a, a bad busyness. Sometimes busyness can rob us from our time with God, but in Mark, we see a faith that's in action. We see a great example in our Lord, how he is busy about his father's business. Look at verse uh, number one of chapter two, where the Bible says, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. So we've seen this now over the past few episodes that Jesus' ministry is growing in fame. Remember that initial visit to Capernaum and the healing of that demoniac man and how the fame of Christ spread. We ended last chapter talking about that leprous man uh, whom Jesus touched and then he told him, uh, don't tell anybody. Just show yourself to the priest to get back into society, but don't tell anybody about this miracle. But the man disobeyed and told everybody about the miracle. And what happened was the ministry of Jesus was actually inhibited because the crowds were more interested in his healing touch than they were in his message. And I think we've made it clear that the most important thing about Jesus' ministry was the fact that he was on mission. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And in that seeking, he gave the message of the gospel. Repent, believe the gospel. So it's the mission underscored by the message. And the miracles are simply validators that the authority of Jesus is real, that the message is authentic. And we've seen that now for several episodes. So here in chapter number two, uh, again, Jesus is in Capernaum. He's in a house and it's been noised abroad. So people are coming from everywhere to see this miracle worker. Look at verse number two. And straightway, many were gathered together. And insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. So Jesus is preaching in a house. We don't know how big the house is, but presumably it's a larger house. And there's no room. Uh, they've crammed as many people as they possibly can in that room. I mean, it's standing room only, and now nobody else can get in. 
So, so popular is Jesus that they, they, they've got to turn people away, apparently. And we've all been in situations like that, whether it be a, a church service or some concert or whatever that we've gone to, where it's like, hey, uh, there's no more room. Uh, it's a sold out crowd. That's what's happening here. Look at verse number three. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy. So palsy refers to some kind of paralysis, some kind of inability, in this case, to walk, sick of the palsy, which was born, B-O-R-N-E, of four. So here's a man, they're bringing to Jesus, and they're carrying him on, we would call it today, a cot. And the the four corners of that cot are are being held up by four friends or neighbors or family members that are bringing this man to Jesus. Now, remember, there's no way to get in. You know, there's standing room only, and they've got to turn people away. So no doubt when they first get there, their hopes are dashed because there's no way to get this man to Jesus. And apparently their, their whole... Uh, their their whole mission is to get this man the healing that he desperately needs. And I love that. I love the the faith and the friendship of these four that are willing to carry this man. We don't know how far they've come, but they're willing to carry this man to Jesus. Uh, there's a measure of faith here. Uh, they believe that Jesus can do something for him. There's faith not only on the part of the four, but there's faith on the part of the man that's coming to believe that Jesus indeed has the power to heal. So, so far, so good. But now they've got this roadblock. How in the world are we going to get through this crowd and get this man to Jesus? Well, look at verse number four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press. So the press here refers to just the the way that they're jammed together. It's kind of like when I go to the airport and you have to ride one of those little shuttles uh, from the airplane to the terminal or vice versa, man, they jam you in there like your sardines. So there's just no place to move. That's what's happening here for the press, the Bible says. And they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. So what an innovative solution. I think many of us have heard the story before. But if you've ever been to Israel, I like to take people to a place called Nazareth Village because it's kind of like a first century village where the people dress up as as they would 2,000 years ago. And you can watch a person doing pottery or a person doing uh, weaving or cooking food from back in that era. And all the, the, the homes are authentic first century type homes with the flat roof and the tile kind kind of tile like roof so i can picture how the the men got up on the roof and uncovered a portion of the roof the tiling in the roof and literally let this man down i don't know if they used a rope or some other kind of i don't know but they whatever it was they let this man down in the middle of the service as Jesus is teaching and preaching to this crowd, this packed house, in the middle of the service, this bed comes descending down from the roof. What, what a sermon stopper that must have been. 
Now, obviously, everybody's t- attention has been arrested. What, what will Jesus do? How he, will he respond? I mean, this is a bold and innovative way by which these men have gotten their friend to Christ. And can I just say this, just by way of application, that we ought to be looking for bold and innovative ways to get people to Jesus. And they just had a determination that we are going to find a way to get this man to the Lord. And I think that's a great uh, lesson for all of us. Let's find a way to get people under the sound of, under the influence of the Word of God, uh, to get them to Christ. Uh, That's a great example. Watch what happens in verse number five. When Jesus saw their, don't miss this word, when Jesus saw their faith. Now, now how can you, how can you see faith? Uh, Faith is something invisible. So it's not something substantive in the sense that you can touch it or feel it or taste it or smell it. It's not something apprehended by the senses. And yet the Bible says Jesus saw their faith. Well, obviously, what he saw was uh, the man being let down. What he saw was the evidence of their faith. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, the writer of Hebrews taught us in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. So Jesus is seeing that their true faith has showed up in what they've done. Uh, They've let this man down Uh, in the middle of the service. So when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, don't miss it, because you would be thinking, if you read this story for the first time, you would be thinking that what Jesus would say is, son, you're healed of your palsy. I heal you of your paralysis. Because after all, was that not why they brought him uh, to receive healing? Was that not why they put him on the roof and let him down carefully? Uh, Wasn't that the evidence of the faith uh, about which Jesus was speaking here? But that's not what Jesus says. Look look at verse number five. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. So Jesus doesn't heal him of his physical malady, No, Jesus goes right for the more important sickness, the more important need that this man has, and that's his need for salvation. That's his need for forgiveness granted by God. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, listen, that's not something that a man can do for you. That's not something that a priest or a rabbi or some imam can do for you. No, the forgiveness of sins, the sins that we commit, uh, that's something that only God can do. And the people that were there in that service, they knew that just as well as you and I do. So when Jesus said to that man out loud, thy sins be forgiven thee, that caused quite a ruckus. Because watch what happens in verse number six. But there were certain of the scribes Remember those religious leaders that prided themselves in having special and deeper knowledge of the Word of God, that there were certain of those scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. So Jesus sees their faith, forgives the man of his sins, but there are some sitting there, and they're they're in their heart, in their mind, uh, they're rationalizing, this is not possible. How can a mere teacher of 
the Bible, how can a mere teacher, a mere rabbi, how can he take the prerogative, exercise the authority to forgive sins? Look at verse number seven. Why doth this man, this is what they're reasoning in their hearts, why does this man thus speak blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God only? So in their mind, they're thinking that was the most obnoxious, audacious, and therefore blasphemous thing that anybody could say. That that he has he has taken the prerogative to forgive this man of his sins, that's blasphemous. And here's why it's blasphemous, because only God can forgive sins. So in, in one way, these scribes are right. In another way, they're wrong. So in, in what way are they right? Well, they're right in the sense that only God can forgive sins. They're absolutely irrefutably right about that. Okay, but they're wrong in the sense that they don't associate Jesus with divinity. Yes, only God can forgive sins, but now they're not realizing that Jesus is God. Remember, remember, God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not just the Son of God that Jesus is. He's God the Son. They were unwilling to make that leap. They were unwilling to consider that alternative, that, that possibility that the Son of God, God the Son, the very Messiah, the very Holy One of God was standing right in front of them. So I'm going to stop there for now. I've got to leave you on the ledge. And we're going to come back to this because this story has an amazing ending. How does Jesus respond, not to their words, not, not to even to their overt opposition, but how does Jesus respond to the inner thinking of their heart, the suspicion that they have about him and the evil thoughts that they're having toward him? Uh, a blasphemous man they think he is. How does Jesus respond to all of this? You're going to have to come back next episode. We'll talk a little bit more about it, but we're out of time for today. So thanks for joining us and I'll see you next episode. Uh, God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.